Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon, and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured and the fountains of the earth can be explored, then I will cast off the offspring of Israel for they have done uh, for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Most gracious Father, as we look this morning at your word, I ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word. Father, would you give me words in my mouth by your spirit to declare boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ as you have called me to do? Would you illumine our hearts and minds by your spirit that we might hear and understand? Indeed, Lord, that we might be comforted. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, we're up to this kind of final installment of this series on covenant. Uh, on covenant theology, looking at the different covenants in the Bible. And as we start today looking at the new covenant, which of course is the, you know, the, the, the go-to text for the new covenant is Jeremiah 31, uh, verses 31 to 34 that we've just read. Uh, as I work our way into this, we're going we're gonna to approach this sermon kind of in, in reverse homiletical order. So instead of kind of application stuff being at the end, we're going to start there. Because the application of the new covenant is mind-boggling. At least to me it is. So if you want to keep a finger on Jeremiah 31, flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. We've already read this passage once, but but it's so good, it's worth repeating. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin looking at verse 19. Now here's why I'm saying this is the the application of the new covenant. Back in in Hebrews chapter 8, the author of Hebrews began this discussion about the new covenant, and he, he quoted Jeremiah 31. It's one of the longest quotations of the Old Testament anywhere in the New Testament. It's when the author of Hebrews in, in Hebrews 8 quotes that long passage. And he's quoting that passage to remind us that Jesus has fulfilled that for us. And, and then through all of chapter 8, through chapter 9, through chapter 10, he just kind of continues to unpack how this new covenant that Jesus is the mediator of is better than the old covenant that Moses was the mediator of. And after unpacking that for, for two and a half chapters, we, we get to Hebrews chapter 10, 19, and he begins to apply this new covenant and, and say, so in light of this, 
in light of this grand new covenant that Jesus is the mediator of and it's better than the old stuff, in light of that, here's how you're supposed to live as a Christian. So verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's stop right there for just one second, because the way he has kind of unpacked the new covenant is saying, look, it's not about the old temple or the old tabernacle of any of that, Jesus has made a way in. His flesh was was destroyed, so the, the curtain was torn, and we get to go into the very presence of God because he's fulfilled the new covenant, right? So what you couldn't do in the old covenant, go into the most holy place, Jesus has opened the door for us to go in, right? So, so that's what he's been saying, and that's what all that is about. Now, Since, therefore, because of that reality, he then gives three imperatives about the Christian life. Therefore, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's the first application of living in light of the new covenant? draw near to the very presence of God. Not scared, not wondering if he's going to smoke you or lay you out or wipe you out because of your sin, but with a heart of full assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Are you kidding me? Because of Jesus, because of the new covenant, because of what he's done, I get to not have a guilty conscience. Hallelujah for that. Because Lord knows, I could very easily live with a guilty conscience. And so could you. The first step of the Christian life that the first application of the new covenant is, oh, not anymore. Not anymore. Your guilty conscience doesn't speak a true word about you. Why? Because your heart has been sprinkled clean and your body has been washed. So all that guilt that you carry, where your conscience screams out that you're a failure and that you're a miserable sap because of all the stuff you've done you get to say no not today today i'm drawing near to the very presence of god in full assurance that that's where i belong first application second application verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful That's the second application of the new covenant for us. Hold fast without wavering to Jesus. Why? Because he's faithful. Because he's going to do all the things that he said he's going to do. So first step of the Christian life, draw near to God. Ignore your guilty conscience because Jesus has cleaned you up. The second step of the Christian life is hold on real tight. To Jesus. Hold on 
to your faith because he's faithful. Third application, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Third step of the Christian life. Get together with other Christians and talk about Jesus and tell each other you're forgiven and tell each other it's all about grace and tell each other about the steadfast love of God and talk to each other about mercy and rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we stir one another up towards love and good deeds. It's not by getting together and being like, here's the law, you better get after it. That's not encouraging. At least it's not to me. It's by reminding each other of the gospel. So what's the application of this new covenant that we're about to look at? I want you to have these in mind so that as I'm explaining the new covenant, you understand why this is the application. First, draw near to God with full assurance, telling your guilty conscience to shut directly up because Jesus has washed you clean. Second, hold on tight to Jesus. Third, tell everybody else about Jesus and do it a lot and encourage one another. And by that, drive each other to love and good works. Okay? That's the application. Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus is the application of the new covenant. Now, flip back to Jeremiah 31. When we come to this passage, you'll notice at the beginning it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when? And then he says something. All right, so Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, is right in the middle of a section of Jeremiah called the Book of Consolation. Okay? It, it runs from Jeremiah 30 to Jeremiah 33. Now, flip over probably just a page in your Bible. And look at Jeremiah 30, verse 3. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when? All right? Now flip back over, Jeremiah 31, verse 27. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when? Verse 38. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when? And then he says something. Now flip over one more page, to, to, or maybe two, to, to chapter 33. We read the same thing in verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when? And then he says what else he's going to do. Okay, so in this section from Jeremiah 30 to Jeremiah 33, five different times he, he begins by saying, the days are coming when I'm going to do something. And what he says after the when every single time is, and it's going to be awesome. That's my paraphrase. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'm going to pour out my grace on my people and it's going to blow your tiny little minds. He says that five different ways. From Jeremiah 30 through Jeremiah 33. One of the ways that he says that and that he explains what he's about to do is in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, where he announces the new covenant. But what's fascinating about this is as we begin to, to put all of this together, what he does in announcing this new covenant, in announcing what he's going to do, is he, he ties all of the covenant strings that we've been looking at, he ties them all together in one bunch. And says, I'm doing all of this. 
Right? So in, in Jeremiah 30, verse 3 and 10, and in Jeremiah 33, 22, he talks about the Abrahamic covenant, and that's going to be fulfilled. In, in uh, uh, Jeremiah uh, 31 that we just read, verses 35 through 37, all of that stuff about if the days can end and if the seasons stop. and Well, what's that? Well, that's the Noahic covenant. When God said, I'm going to make sure it all keeps going. In Jeremiah 30, verse 9, and, and 33, 17 through 18, he's saying, David, I'm, I'm going to make all that happen. All of that's going to come true. The Davidic covenant is tied up in this knot. And then in Jeremiah 30, 11, and by the way, there's other places for each of these covenants. These are just the big ones. In Jeremiah 30, 11, and in 31, 8, and 10, he says, oh, by the way, all the stuff in the Mosaic covenant is going to be taken care of as well. So this is why we say the Bible is the story of God establishing his kingdom through his Christ according to his covenant promises. Because what we see in this book of consolation centered in Jeremiah 31 is that's exactly what happens. That all of these covenants, Abraham, Noah, David, Moses, all get tied up in Jesus Christ. That's why... When the author of Hebrews, whoever this brilliant theologian was, when he gets to applying the, the new covenant, he says, let us draw near, Jesus. Let us hold fast, Jesus. Let us encourage one another, Jesus. Why? Because he's the answer to all of it. He, he's the way it's all fulfilled. He's the one that we needed to do this thing in order that we might be saved. So with that, now let's, let's zoom in on Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, because it says right there, new covenant, this is the go-to passage when we talk about the new covenant. And that's great. It's really nice when the Bible says the words that we like are looking for, like new covenant, right? And we're like, see, this is a new covenant. It says so right there in black and white, right? It's really nice when the Bible does that, but there's a trap we got to watch for. And the trap is that because this is the place where it's called the new covenant, that we just look at this verse or these verses to understand what the new covenant is all about. Because the same content that's announced here is actually announced all through Jeremiah 30 through 33, all through Ezekiel 16, all through Ezekiel 36 and 37, all through Isaiah 59, over and over and over and over and over, there's this new covenant that's being talked about. And so for us to understand what the new covenant is talking about, we really need to go on this grand tour of all of those passages. I'm not going to. I want to. I'm not going to. I'll just tell you what they say. So, so that's what's happening because there's this new covenant. But the question we then have to ask is, okay, what is the new covenant new in relation to? Right? What is the new covenant new in relation to? And there's kind of two main answers to this. One answer that, that, that I don't think is correct is that the new covenant is new in relation to everything in the Old Testament. Right? And, and, and so we get to Jesus, and, and it's all new, and the Old Testament we can just be like, meh, it was good while it was there. But now Jesus. Okay? 
here's why I don't think that's correct. I don't think the new covenant is new in relation to Abraham. I don't think the new covenant is new in relation to Noah. I don't think the new covenant is new in relation to David. I do think it's new in relation to Moses. Why? Let's look at the next verse together. I'm going to make a new covenant, verse 31, verse 32. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So which covenant is that? Well, that's the Mosaic covenant. That's the covenant he made when he took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. That's also the covenant they broke. And, and, I mean, they couldn't break the, the Noahic covenant. They're not holding earth together. That was the very point of the Noahic covenant. They couldn't break the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham was asleep on the sidelines, and God passed between the pieces by himself. They couldn't break the Davidic covenant because God said, as we saw last week, I will, I will, I will, I will. But the Mosaic covenant, God said, how about this? How about Moses this dude that's a sinner like you be the mediator. And how about you do all this stuff? And if you do it, you get to stay in the land. But if you don't, you get the boot. How about that? And guess what? That's the covenant they broke. That's the one that they failed at miserably, repeatedly for their entire existence. And that we fell at miserably and continually for our entire existence. So when we talk about the new covenant and ask this question, what is it new in relation to? The answer isn't the Old Testament. The answer is more specific than that. It's, it's new in relation to the Mosaic covenant. And in fact, when we read Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, when we read Paul in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, the, the covenant that he contrasts the new covenant with is always and only Moses. It's never Abraham, never Noah, never David. It's always and only Moses. He gave the law, and now he's done something new. He gave all the rules, and now he's done something new. That's where the contrast always is. And this is really, really important, right? It's really important for Presbyterians and, and here's why. There's a lot of reasons. It's important because it's biblical, but also because it helps us answer the question of why we baptize babies. It, it helps us answer the question of how we define who is part of this covenant. It helps us answer the question of, of why we think children are rightly included as part of the covenant. Because if it was new in relation to Abraham, that, that was the promise. It was for you and your children, and, and, and the, the, the covenant sign of circumcision was given to babies. If it was new in relation to that, then, then our friends that, 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 are, that are of a different persuasion and don't like wet babies, they might have a point. But it's not new in relation to that. It's new in relation to Moses. And in fact, as we read the covenant, we read things... Like this, as, as, as we read the, the, this Jeremiah 30 through 33, it says, The children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Or, or we read, There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back from their own country. 
Or, or we, we read that, that if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease. Then I will cast it. So, so what we see is that, that, that when, when Jeremiah is telling this story and he's framing this new covenant, he, he doesn't kind of do this, what, what often gets said, he doesn't take what was corporate and then make it exclusively individual. That he doesn't do that. He brings those two realities together. There is an individual component, but there still remains this, this corporate component. That's why when we read in Acts chapter 2, how, what must we do to be saved after you know, Peter like smokes everybody with his sermon? Where he's like, y'all killed Jesus, the Son of God. Way to go. They're freaked out. Like, what do, we do? what do we need to do to be saved? And his answer is, repent and be baptized for the promises for you and your children and as many as the Lord our God shall call. What's he drawing on there? He's drawing on the promises of the new covenant that are repeatedly said to be for our kids just as much as they're for us, right? So, so this is a, a, how we deal with these pieces and, and kind of how we put these together and how we see these covenants relating really plays out in our theology. But again, what is it that we teach our kids as we're raising them up? How do we apply this new covenant to them as we're raising them up? Is it, okay, well, you need to memorize the Ten Commandments and you need to march and you need to keep the rules? And I mean, some of us, we read, you know, one of the trip books and we did that and wasn't super helpful all the time. But the real application would be, my dear child, look to Jesus. Run to him. My dear child, hold real tight to Jesus. My dear child, tell all your brothers and sisters that they need Jesus. Right? That's why Addie's profession of faith the other, the other week was so sweet. Because she was living in light of the new covenant. She was saying, Mom, there's going to come a day you're going to get old and crazy and I'm going to need to remind you about Jesus. That's a new covenant life right there. That's what that's all about. So it's new in relation to the Mosaic covenant. How? Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now notice what has just happened. It's subtle, but it's important. He's just brought this divided kingdom. Remember, you go through the book of Samuel, then Solomon becomes king, then his kids divide the kingdom because they're just so awesome. And he's brought this divided kingdom of Israel and Judah back together. How do we see that in the text? Verse 31, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 33, he just says the house of Israel. It's one people again. It's the one people named after Jacob who was renamed Israel as the father of the nation. I will make a new covenant with them. Uh, th this is the covenant I will make with that house, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. The, the author of Hebrews gets a lot of mileage out of this because he makes the point that, that now when, when we're talking about the law, we're not talking about something that's written on tablets of stone that's out here in front of the state house, and we're like, oh yeah, that's what we're all supposed to do. No, we're talking about something that the Spirit of God has done in us to make our hearts new. And in fact, when we look at the new covenant in Ezekiel, he's saying, I've removed a heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. I'm not writing on tablets of stone anymore. Not even on your heart. 
I'm going to put my spirit and he's going to put my law within you. The law is not going to be this external thing that you go to to check your behavior. You're going to have the very spirit of God bearing witness to his truth in you. Now, we love, or at least I do, and I think, I think most of us do, the, the uh, assurance of pardon that comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Amen. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son. And it goes on, right? The last verse. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what's the newness of the new covenant? In part, it's that the law isn't this external thing that can't get in and change us, but which we are accountable to. In part, the newness of the new covenant is the, the Spirit has said, I'm going to change your heart, and I'm going to write that law on you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to regenerate you. That is, make you a new creation. I'm going to transform you so that you can walk in obedience to God. I'm not going to transform you because you are walking in obedience to him. There would be no transformers if that were the case. I'm going to transform you so that you'll walk in obedience to God. But I'm a sinner. Yes, you are. So what happens to my sin? You draw near to Jesus. You hold fast to Jesus. You tell each other about Jesus. That's how you encourage each other to love and good works, which is what? The fulfillment of the law. By pointing each other to Christ, who has satisfied the, the, the law, who has hushed the law's loud thunder, as we often see. And say, walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. As Paul tells us, that great preacher of grace in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to put my law within you. I'm going to write it on your heart. By the way, this was the point all through the law. He kept telling them, circumcise your heart, circumcise your heart, circumcise your heart. You need to be new. You need a new heart. When all these curses come upon you, Deuteronomy chapter 30, then what am I going to do? This right here. Right? The, the law is never intended to save us. It can't. From the out, it doesn't work from the outside in. It works from the inside out. The Spirit works from the inside out, giving us the desires of our heart. That is, making them what they're supposed to be. And there's more. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the, the covenant formulary is, is what fancy people call it. You can be fancy. You call it the covenant formulary. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the gospel. I'm going to do something so that you who were outsiders, you who were strangers to the covenant of promise, you, you who, were, who were Gentiles in the flesh, you who had no part, I'm going to bring you in. And you Jews who were scattered because of your sin, I'm going to bring you back. I will be your God, and you will be my people. We're in this together. And by the way, what he means by that is, I'm going to do it all. You're just walking behind me as I handle everything. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Now, 
So why do I stand up here just to get right to it? Why do I, if this is the new covenant and you don't need teachers anymore, why do I stand up here week after week and talk for too long to you about Jesus? Because the kingdom has been inaugurated, but it has not yet been consummated. What does that ridiculous statement mean? It means that the kingdom has come with Christ, but it hasn't yet come in all of its glory and all of its fulfillment and all of its grandeur and all of everything it will be. And as John Stott titled his book, which I haven't read, We Live Between Two Worlds. That's where we are right now. Between two worlds. The kingdom has come, but not all the way yet. And that's where we live. That's why Jesus gives by his spirit the gift of teaching to some people in the church. Because right now, our stubborn little hearts need to be told again and again and again and again and again, draw near to Jesus, hold tight to Jesus, tell each other about Jesus. Because before you get to lunch, you'll walk the other way, you'll let go, and you'll start griping about politics. That's what we do. We need to be reminded of what it looks like to actually live in light of the new covenant over and over and over. Why? Because we're not yet what we will be. We will be that. There will be this great and glorious day when y'all don't have to listen to me anymore. Amen. Amen. Why? Because there won't be any doctrinal confusion. There won't be any general assemblies where we get together and bicker over stuff. There, there, there won't be any more indwelling sin that's tempting us to walk away. Then there won't be this, this Satan who's like a lion who's seeking to devour. There won't be any of that. There will only be perfect knowledge of God with all of us. With all of us. We will have drawn near to Jesus. We will have held fast to Jesus. And we will have spurred one another on, one another on to Jesus. And in all of that, His Spirit will have brought us there. And we will revel in the glories of heaven together forever. That's where this is going. So this is another one of those moments of kind of the, the rock skipping kind of metaphor of prophecy where, where it, it touches down and it touches down and it touches down, but then there's the consummation point of glory. And that's when we won't need these teachers anymore. That's when you won't need people like me. And I can't wait. I can't wait for that. That's another part of the newness of the new covenant. Uh... For, why, why will this be the case? I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. <laughs> Hallelujah. How does he get away with that? How does the holy God of all creation get away with that? Because Jesus paid for our sin. That's why this perfectly holy, perfectly just God cannot think about our sin anymore. Because justice has been satisfied. 
by the finished work of Jesus Christ. The last sacrifice has been made. And this time, unlike the blood of bulls and goats that just reminds us again and again and again of our need for a Savior, this sacrifice doesn't remind us of our need for a Savior. It declares you have one. It declares your sins are forgiven. It declares your guilty conscience doesn't speak the true word about you. My shed blood does. And so this holy and perfectly just and all-knowing God who is the searcher of men's hearts doesn't count our iniquity anymore because we're forgiven. And because we've been washed clean. And in doing all of this, through Christ, all of his promises, all of his promises to Noah, all of his promises to Abraham, all of his promises to Moses, all of his promises to David are ours. So how do we apply this? Once again, back to Hebrews 10 to wrap it up. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Behold, a day is coming, declares the Lord. What do we do as we see that day drawing near more and more? We draw near to Jesus. We hold on to Jesus. We tell each other about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And for all the glory that we've only scratched the surface of. We thank you for the Christ who is announced in your word. And we ask that you would teach us to do just what your word says. To draw near to Jesus. To hold fast to Jesus. And to tell each other to our last breath about Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.